We're going to jump right in. I uh, went over last week and uh, went over in the first service this morning, so cancel lunch plans. We're going to be here a while. Uh, but I, yeah, let's get right to the questions. Again, we're in a series called FAQs. These are, are questions that was asked by members of our church. I'm trying to cover as many as possible. I won't get to all of them. Uh, but here's where we're starting today. Are aliens and are UFOs spirits? Yep. Are aliens and or UFOs spirits? Great question. They're definitely more than this question asker who uh, have questions about this particular topic in our church. I've had conversations with other people on this topic. Uh, somebody shared a podcast with me about this topic, which, by the way, is not your invitation to send me all your favorite podcasts. I don't have time to listen to them, but I did listen to that one. Uh, and it, quite fascinating, really, really fascinating stuff. Uh, before I get to the specific question, I'm going to use this question in order to... Is there an Amber Alert and everybody's phone's going off? Okay. Lord, please find, help, help them find whoever that is. And... Um, be mad at all the people who let their phone go off in the service. <laughs> yeah, let, 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 me, let me talk around the topic first uh, about this, this sort of issue in general. W what do we do with issues that aren't addressed in the Bible? Uh, issues that we're interested in, issues that come up, but there's not a scripture and verse. So you can't go to this book of the Bible in this place and find out if there are aliens or not. What can we know and what are the things we can't know uh, using the Bible and what do we do with that can't know uh, portion? Here, here's my first comment. It's simply this. Any argument from silence is a weak argument. Any argument from silence is a weak argument. Now, this is what I mean. If the Bible doesn't address something, uh, it is a very weak argument to say, well, the Bible didn't address it, so it must not be true. At the same time, it's a very weak argument, a little intellectually lazy to say, well, the Bible didn't say this wasn't true, so it must be true. Anytime we argue something and there's no evidence in the Bible, we're not given any information in the Bible, but we say this is what's true, we're on weak ground biblically. Okay, there may be other reasons to believe that, but we shouldn't say as a Christian, well, I believe this as a Christian, when the Bible doesn't really speak to that. There's a lot that the Bible doesn't cover. We just have to own that. The, the, the purpose of the Bible is to teach us about God, to teach us about His work uh, over time in history, and to present His plan for salvation for fallen sinful people, to reunite them with His Father, that they could be forgiven and redeemed and spend eternity in heaven. That is the major thrust of the Bible. There was a perfect world. We sinned. We messed it up. That sin has ongoing effects through Jesus, we and all of creation is going to be redeemed uh, one day if we put our faith in him, and God's going to make everything right at the end. Outside of that, there are a lot of very good questions, even within the Bible. If you've read any of the Bible at all, a short piece or, or, or the whole Bible, 
There have been times when you read something and you thought, huh, I wonder this. Why doesn't the Bible tell me this? Why doesn't the Bible address this? Even within the stories of the Bible. So we certainly would assume that there are going to be topics outside of the spiritual life that the Bible just never, ever references. The Bible doesn't talk about chemistry or geometry. Right? But both of them are real and true, right? much to the chagrin of students going back to school uh, next week. Yeah, geometry, uh, chemistry, uh, all of that stuff is true and real. The Bible doesn't teach any of that. The Bible doesn't tell us about those things. So, so we would expect to find things in the world that aren't addressed in the Bible, and we need to be very careful with those topics. God has given us a brain. He's given us reasoning and logic. Right, That's, We're separated from the animal kingdom, most of us in some ways, a little bit maybe. Uh, there's a little bit of separation because we have reasoning capability. Right? We have logical capability, and, and God wants us to use that. Use, use your brain. Now, uh, let me mention a philosophical principle, not a theological principle. This isn't in the Bible either. A philosophical principle that I find helpful in navigating a lot of things in the world. Many of you have heard it. Maybe you studied it in a philosophy course. It's called Occam's Razor. Um, simplified version, uh, general language. Occam's Razor says the simpler explanation is more likely to be correct. That's the simplified version of it. The, the clear Simple explanation, most of the time, you probably should go with that one. Right? More detailed, Occam's Razor would say, if there are two options, and on option A, 500 different things happen to have to happen perfectly, and 300 circumstances have to line up perfectly, but if all of that happened Option A is on the table. And option B says, well, if like three things happened, then it would probably happen. Go with option B. Like go with the simple, plain explanation. And most of the time, you'll be on the right track. I think that's true for uh, explanations uh, that we wrestle with, maybe that are outside of the Bible as well. We need to start from, okay, what's a clear explanation here? What's a simple explanation? Before I bring 5,000 things to this, What's your, what would be a very simple, clear explanation of this? Now, I realize in 2023, the problem is we don't all agree on what is simple and clear anymore, do we? Like, we don't all agree on what is an obvious explanation. Because some people look at an obvious explanation and go, wow, that's, that's really obvious. And somebody else says, no, it's not that obvious. Some people look at facts. Other people see conspiracy theories, right? This is where we are. It's not a message about that. Don't get nervous. This is where we are. 2023, we don't agree on what is simple and clear. Nonetheless, when addressing these topics, it is good to kind of back up and ask, okay, what is a clear, straightforward explanation? To that end, a couple more suggestions. I don't know is an acceptable answer and a complete sentence. This may be news to some of us. I don't know is an acceptable answer when you're asked about a topic. As a matter of fact, if you don't know, I don't know is the only acceptable answer to a topic. 
Again, part of our problem is we have people talking at length about things they don't know anything about. It is okay, even on important issues that maybe you're not well read on, maybe that you haven't looked into, maybe you don't even have an opinion on, it is okay to say, I don't know. I don't know. I haven't really looked into that. I haven't really read that. I don't know. An another suggestion. Provided their interest, the person who's asking you, the person who's interested in this topic, provided their interest in the subject is not unhealthy, be as gracious as you can when someone believes what you don't about a non-essential matter. Like there's a whole lot of issues that people get really passionate about that at the end of the day, they don't really matter. Don't say that to them. But they don't really matter. And if they're really interested, wonderful. I may not be interested, but I can be gracious and listen to the fact that they're really interested and I don't have to call them names or think terrible things about them. Provided it's not unhealthy, whatever they're, whatever they're thinking about, just be as gracious as you can because you care about some things that other people don't care about. You're really passionate about some things that other people aren't that passionate about. Now, if, if they're building a $50,000 spaceship in the backyard, you might want to have an intervention at, at that point, right? Because, I mean, $50,000 is not going to get you into orbit in this economy anyway, so you might, you might want to step in at that point. But provided this hasn't kind of gone off the rails, this hasn't gotten crazy, and it's not unhealthy, be as gracious as you can with what other people believe or are interested in. In. Okay, back to the question. This is the question again. Are aliens and or UFOs spirits? I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. Okay, that's not a very satisfying answer, but I don't know. Um, I have <clears throat> honestly never considered that aspect until I got this question. This was someone who was willing to sign their name, by the way. Um, bravo to that person. So we were, having, we were able to have some follow-up conversations about it, and I'd never really considered UFOs, aliens, are they spirit realm crashing into this world sort of idea? Angels, demons, <clears throat> that sort of thing. As Fate would have it, another podcast that I do listen to regularly, this topic came up on it about two weeks ago. They didn't answer it. They just brought it up that this was now a new, a new question. Uh, so apparently the question is out there. Uh, I do believe in um, spiritual beings, angels, demons, spiritual warfare, behind the scenes, the curtain pulled back. I do believe there, are, there is spiritual activity going on the only the only reported activity is in the Bible. And when I go to the Bible, that sort of activity is very clear. Now, again, the Bible doesn't tell us everything. The Bible tells us about one group of people who lived in one geographic area. There were other peoples all over the world during Bible times. We don't hear anything about those People. But from what we read from the Bible, those sort of appearances are rare, and they, they make sense. Uh, uh, they know this is an angel. Like when the Bible tells a story about an angel appearing, 
the person either knows it's an angel or the angel appears as a human and so they think it's a human and the narrator tells us it's more than a human. But there's not some bizarre appearance that they can't make sense of. Things sort of have a a reason for appearing. They, They put things together. When they have visions, it's for a specific purpose. It's not kind of random uh, uh, lights and flashes and things showing up that we're told. Again, could be. We're not told that it is in the Bible. I've never really considered this aspect. If you press me for opinion, if you want to know my opinion on the answer to this question, I would say no. I would say that's not what it is. Uh, but I could be wrong about that. It could be. Again, my algorithms are all thrown off these days. Uh, somebody tweeted and showed up uh, in my feed that this was just a pastor, I think, or minister or some Christian person said, uh, we should call UFOs what they are, demons. Okay, this is where my algorithm is at this point. So there, there are people that think, you know, that is demonic forces. I'm not saying it can't be. It's not. I'm not saying that. I'm saying I don't think it is. That's where I am which I think is a healthy way to handle these. You, you can have an opinion. You can say, I think this, or based on what I read in the Bible, I, based on my experience, or based on this, I think this. I don't think that's what it is, my personal opinion, at this current point in time. So let's take up a more general question. Let's alter the question just a little bit too. Could there be aliens or life on other planets just in general? Is that a possibility? My answer to that question is, yes, there could be. There could be. Does there have to be? Is there definitely life on other planets? I wouldn't say that. But I certainly think there could be. Again, back to the Bible doesn't tell us everything. The Bible doesn't give us every piece of information. And we know that the universe, every time we learn something new, we realize it's bigger than we thought it was before bigger and it's expanding and it's, it's, it's huge and it's, it's just incredible all that we don't know about the universe so I'm hesitant to make a definitive statement about the universe which is so huge I think there could be life on other planets you realize just a couple hundred years ago people thought that and the, and the church was convinced that the sun rotated around the earth. And there were heresy trials, and there, there, were, there were people convicted and, and persecuted because they said, hey, we've, we've kind of run some science here, and the earth is going around the sun. And, and that blew the church's idea that we are the center of everything. Right? We are humble beings as Christian humans, right? We, we thought for so long, we are the center of everything. Everything revolves around us. And one day they realize, oh, well, that's not true at all. And that's okay. It's okay that God designed the universe differently than from what we've thought for so long. But now that we have new evidence, then let's adjust our, our thinking. This, this wasn't an issue of... The, the Bible depends on this being true. And, then, and, and this is my encouragement to you. Be very careful saying emphatically something that the Bible doesn't say emphatically. Be very careful putting an exclamation point somewhere that God hasn't put an exclamation point. 
Because what happens when you say there's no other life, we are the only life God created, if, if that life is ever discovered, does your faith fall apart? And is the Bible no longer true? Well, if that is true for you, then you kind of misunderstood the Bible from the beginning. Because the Bible wasn't trying to answer that question. There are things that can be true and not be in the Bible, as I've said. Now, if this is true, it creates some theological questions. Um, here's what the Bible does. The, the Bible may not answer a specific question or talk about a specific topic, but the Bible does give us parameters around what we can believe. It doesn't tell us what we have to believe. It doesn't tell us what we can't believe when it comes to aliens and, and UFOs. But it does put some parameters around what we should believe. For example, the Bible says that God created everything in this universe. He created everything. There cannot be a species a race, a form somewhere out there that God didn't know about. And then God's in heaven going, where did they come from? Like, who let them in? Now, everything in this universe was created by God intentionally with plans and purpose. And, and should there one day be confirmation that there's life in some other place, that life would have been created by God. And God would be sovereign over that life. And then we have to ask theological questions like, well, on that planet, did they sin? Or did they not sin? And if they sinned, did Jesus go to that planet? And did he die? Or did God have some other way for a sacrifice? See, we could do this all day, right? We could just kind of keep tracking down this path. It raises a, a lot of questions. But again, my encouragement to you is don't put an exclamation point where God didn't put one. Don't, don't build your faith. Don't build your belief around God by being dogmatic about issues that he never even mentioned in the Bible. He never even talked about in the Bible. Instead, trust him. Absolutely perfect to say, my opinion is. Or, as I read these verses, here's, here's the conclusions that I come to. When I think about God, here are the conclusions that I come to. Absolutely perfect to do that. Not good to make dogmatic statements about topics that aren't covered. Are there aliens? Might be. Could be. Not terribly interested in it myself. Happy that some of you are. It'll be wild if we ever discover that it is. That's my answer. Next question. How much do you know about Jesus' father, Joseph? It seems like there's not much spoken about him after Jesus' birth. What about Jesus' Childhood. Great question. Many people have had this question uh, over the years. Joseph kind of drops from the narrative. He kind of drops behind the scenes once Jesus is 12. We have the birth narrative. Bethlehem, shepherds, wise men come. They go to Egypt. Uh, at the age of 12, Mary and Joseph go to the temple. They dedicate Jesus. If you include all of that as the birth narrative up to age 12, at 12 is the last time we meet Joseph. It's the last time that Joseph appears in the scripture. So when this question asker says, it seems like there's not much spoken about him after Jesus' birth, they're exactly correct. Nothing is spoken about him. Uh, as far as him physically being present, he is named later in, in, in some gospels, and I'll mention that in just a second. The same is true of Jesus' childhood. We get the birth narrative. 
Bethlehem shepherds, wise men, Egypt, temple dedicated at the temple, and then we fast forward to age 30. Some of the gospels don't even cover the birth narrative. They just start with John the Baptist, Jesus' 30 ministry uh, begins. So, so we're not told Jesus' childhood uh, other than that moment at 12. We're told nothing about Joseph uh, after they go to the temple. Um, however, the general assumption because of that, the general assumption, again, not an exclamation point, this is what most people believe is that sometime between when Jesus was 12 and Jesus was 30, Joseph passed away. Because, again, he's not, he's not in any of the narratives. He doesn't speak ever again. Even at the crucifixion, Joseph doesn't appear to be there. Mary is there. John is there. Other people are there. Joseph isn't mentioned ever again in a narrative. Now, there are a couple of verses, and let me just read two of them. John 42 Jesus is teaching, he's performing miracles, and the crowd responds. They said, this is the crowd, people in the crowd. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? Whose father and mother we know. Are they speaking of Joseph, who's deceased? But they ask a question, we know Mary and Joseph. We know them, is he still alive? Don't know. Most people think not. Here's another one, though, Matthew 13. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they ask? Isn't, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this the carpenter's son? He could be alive. He could be dead when they ask that question. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. So I, I, I think you can't make much of any of that other than they're naming Joseph along with Mary. Is he alive? Is he not alive? We don't know. Most people think he's not alive by the time Jesus turns 30 and begins his ministry. A related question. How many siblings did Jesus have? What happened to them? Where did they go? What did they do? Again, great question. Back to the aliens discussion. These are more of those, I wish the Bible told us. I wish the Bible told us this. I wish the Bible told us this. Wonderful exercises, wonderful conversations. But again, we have to admit where the Bible doesn't give additional information because the Bible is trying to tell us about salvation. It's trying to tell us who God is. It's trying to tell us how to live out the spiritual life. It is not trying to satisfy our need for trivia. I don't mean trivial, but we read the Bible and we want to know little bits and pieces. That was not God's goal to try to respond to every little thing that you and I might come up with. His goal was to say, this is who I am and this is what I've done for you. Believe me, trust me, follow me. This is the salvation arc throughout uh, the scriptures so that you could know me better. So, valid question. We just read a scripture that gives us as much answer as we're going to get. The, the one we just read said that he had four brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, who's sometimes called Jude. And then the same verse says he, had an, he has unnamed and unnumbered sisters. Sorry, sisters. Uh, he, he didn't give us the names, 
didn't tell us how many, just said he had more than one. All right. uh, these are his brothers, and he had some sisters. That's kind of all we know. Now, what happened to them? What happened to the ones we know? James becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem, very instrumental in the early church in setting up the early church, leading the early church in Jerusalem. James is eventually martyred for his faith in Christ and his leadership in the church. Now, just a, just a quick pause. How many of you have siblings, brother, sister, some of each, almost all of us? What would it take for you to believe that your sibling is the son of God? Exactly. Exactly. The one you grew up with, the one you shared a room with, right? the one you had fights with all of the time. What would it take for you to believe this is the son of God? I'm going to give my life believing that this is the son of God. That happened for James and Jude. They came to believe, not initially, they came to believe Jesus was indeed the Messiah, gave their life to following him, and then was martyred for him. Some of us would die for a sibling, absolutely. They died because they believed he was the Son of God. Right? Amazing, interesting confirmation within the Bible because we wouldn't think that would happen uh, normally. So James writes the book of James. I don't know if I mentioned that. He writes the book of James, and then Jude, uh, uh, another brother, writes the book of Jude close to the end of the Bible. So also a follower of his brother, of the Messiah, of Jesus. Other than James and Jude, we don't really know uh, historical information about any of the other siblings. Question number four. We're getting to four whole questions today. Question number four that was turned in, um, and I would just go ahead and say only the aliens one had a name with it. All right, We discussed anonymous ones last week which are fine love it aliens was proud rest of them not so proud last question do you believe in predestination if there is such a thing then how do others come to christ if they are not predestined obviously we ran out of the easy questions right good question a question that gets asked all the time gets gets debated discussed uh, it's a weighty issue. Uh, absolutely, it is a, a weighty issue. It's a complicated issue. I got about 15 minutes. We won't resolve it in 15 minutes. Uh, but the question is, do I believe in predestination? Right? I, I haven't been asked to explain it, uh, although I'll give a very brief, unfair description in just a moment. But it's asking about where... I am. Let, let, me, let me say before uh, I get there, it has, as I probably mentioned, this issue has been argued for all of church history. All of church. Drop in anywhere in church history. I've studied it. Drop in anywhere in church history, they're arguing about this. They're dividing over this. They're forming new denominations over this issue all throughout the 2,000 years of the church. I don't know how many of you are Baptists. We're not a Baptist church, by the way, but, but I have a lot of Baptists in my background, study Baptist history, study church history. The Baptists have argued about this from the very beginning. Imagine that, Baptist arguing. From the very beginning, from the very beginning, Baptists have argued over this point. They're, they're emerged almost simultaneously, and each one will take credit for 
we were the first Baptist. Okay, they, they both kind of emerged together. There were general Baptists and there were particular Baptists. All throughout uh, Baptist history, general Baptists believed that salvation was available to everyone. It was a general atonement. It was, it was a, a, a salvation that was available to all particular Baptists, as, as you can figure out. They believed a particular group of people were chosen to be saved by God. And these two groups have always existed, and this topic has always been argued. I'm going to solve it right here in 10 minutes, and we'll be done. I'm just kidding. This, this ain't going to get solved, all right? You can pick a side, and that's fine. I don't mind you picking a side. It's not going to get resolved in the global church, the big C church, until we're in heaven. So essentially, the divide is what I just mentioned. On one side, sometimes referred to as Calvinist, sometimes referred to as Reformed, uh, sometimes described as doctrines of grace. There are a lot of little labels, um, euphemisms for them. But that side believes that God chooses those who are to be saved before the world began, and only those will be saved. Okay, that's Calvinism. There's a very direct choosing some of that group believes that God chooses who will go to hell. Others of them say that he doesn't choose that, and they kind of slice it real fine to kind of let God off the hook for that part of it. Uh, th this is the Calvinism, Reformed Doctrines of Grace group. The other group typically goes by the name of Arminianism, although probably a lot of Arminians don't know that's what they are. Arminianists are more like the general Baptist. Arminianists are, are going to say, no, salvation's open to everyone, and you choose and you decide if you're going to choose God. God has given you that choice. God has put that choice in your hands. It is much more complicated than that. All right, Calvinists in the room, uh, uh, Arminians in the room, if you know that you are those, you know it's a lot more layered than that. We don't have time for all, the, all of everything uh, today. So God chooses God doesn't choose, you choose. Those, those are kind of the basic two camps. Um, before I, I get to some scripture, let me say, when we're talking about Calvinism and Arminianism, we, we have to remember we are talking about human-made theories to try to explain a God who is beyond our understanding. We've got, to keep, we've got to keep that perspective. Uh, humans over time have read the Bible, studied the Bible, been committed to the Bible and committed to God and thought, okay, how do we explain how this happens? How, how, what are the steps? What is necessary? What does salvation look like? It's often called in, in theological studies theories of atonement. This is, this is how we think salvation actually happens point by point, step by step. Wonderful exercise. Wonder, wonderful um, intellectual, spiritual process to go through, to really think through what does salvation mean? What does it look like? What is God doing? What am, what am I doing? Wonderful. But we also, we always have to come back to the idea that, okay, these were created by humans with human minds. And human minds cannot fully understand a God who is beyond our thinking. And my, and my struggle with the two theories and those who fully commit to one or the other is that some of them, not anybody in this room, some of them 
seem to love their theory more than they love Jesus. They love their explanation of Jesus more than they love Jesus himself. And so, just my word of warning, these, these are wonderful patterns to think through, but they are created by us to try to help us understand God and, and salvation. Now, here's a couple of verses. Romans 8, 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So we get words like foreknew. We get, we get the word predestined translated into English. Predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. First Peter Chapter 1, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, another word that is used for the Calvinism side, election, God's choosing. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, or his chosen, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen, there's another word, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Back to Paul, Ephesians chapter 1. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined, according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. If you're in a conversation with a, a reformed person, a, a, a Calvinist, these are the verses some of the verses they're going to go to. Say, look, this says we're chosen, we're predestined, God calls us, God elects us, God selects us. Some, some kind of in the middle will soften that a little bit with the word foreknew or foreknowledge. We, we ran across that word a couple of times in those verses. And some, some people will take a step back from Calvinism and say, well, God, who knows everything, knew everything that was going to happen, and he knew that you were going to choose him, and so he chose you because he knows everything. Others will argue, you know, space and time, what is now, what is choosing with God, everything is now with God. So, so a lot of ways to kind of slice, but definitely there is this implication of God's sovereignty in salvation, God's predestining work in salvation, contrasted with verses like 2 Peter 3.9. The same Peter who wrote about predestination and choosing an election, he writes, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And those over on this side will, see, will say, well, well, there you go. Like, I don't quite get all the predestination, but I know this tells me God wants everyone to come to faith. God doesn't want anyone to perish. That seems very open. And then, of course, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. World, whoever. Seems like a very open invitation for those who want to come to faith. And what we have to wrestle with is both of these things are in Scripture. Both of these things are in Scripture. Here's where I land, um, and I'm not going to identify a camp necessarily. Here's, what, here's where, uh, what I believe about everything that I read in the Bible. Number one, I believe God's sovereign over all things. 
I, I, he's in control. He's ruling, reigning. He's going to bring all things to their rightful end. Uh, he's not surprised by anything. He's not caught off guard by anything. God sovereignly rules and reigns. God is in control. Now, not everything that's happening in this world is according to His will. That's another layer of this argument that, that we don't have time for today. I don't think God is willing, intending horrific acts here in the world, but I believe God is ultimately over all things. Uh, second thing I believe, I believe I can't take any credit for my salvation. That wasn't my doings. Uh, that wasn't my work. I wasn't good enough that I got to be saved. I wasn't smart enough that I figured God out. Uh, I wasn't looking for God when I was saved. Like, I wasn't running from God. I was eight, so I wasn't a gang member or something. I was, I was eight. But, like, I didn't have any interest in God. I wasn't thinking about God, but there was just this moment that for no reason basically at all, I thought, I, I need Jesus in my life. And it's a, longer, a little bit longer story than that, but not much. I, I just had an awareness at that moment that my life needed Jesus, and I responded in faith, I didn't manufacture that thought. God gave me that thought. So I don't look back at my salvation and think I did something. God sent His Son. God, Jesus died for me. He did all the work. And then God gave me an opportunity to, to follow after Him and trust Him by faith. I don't even take credit for that. Um, it, was, it was God's doing in my, in my life. That also allows me not to look back. I was talking with a friend about this. That also allows me not to look back and, and wonder, well, did I pray the right prayer when I was eight? What if I prayed? What if I got the words mixed up and it didn't count? Okay, Salvation is not a magic potion. Right? It's not a spell. It's a matter of what God's doing in my heart. So I don't have to keep questioning, did I do it right? Did it take? It wasn't me. It was God, and he gloriously saved me, and I'm forever grateful for that. Next thing. I also believe that following Jesus is presented as a decision one has to make, and that decision is for everything. That's what I believe. You don't necessarily have to believe that for us to be friends us to worship together I, I believe that it's presented as an ask Jesus said to his disciples follow me pause wait for a response follow me there is an invitation extended at that moment Peter's preaching at Pentecost and his invitation to repentance is to everybody there anybody who wants to come come give your life to Christ and have this glorious movement of the Holy Spirit and 3,000 people come to know Christ that day it's presented as come give your life to Christ John the Baptist preaches repentance and baptism to whoever's on the side of the mountain listen to this crazy guy talk you all need to repent every one of you you all need to do this and for me I can hold to those things in balance that God is sovereign and in control and then as I read the New Testament sharing of the gospel it's presented to come come and decide come and make us make a move I also believe that every person is responsible for what they do with Jesus every person every person is responsible well they respond to the the call of Christ 
Nobody gets to heaven and is without excuse. Paul talks about this. Like Paul, Mr. Election Predestination Guy. He said, you're going to be without excuse. I mean, the universe is telling you there's a God, Paul says, Romans. You're not going to have an excuse. You, you are responsible to respond. I am responsible to, give an, to, to, to invite people into Christ. Everyone, not try to figure out who the elect ones are. To invite everyone. When we get to heaven, how all that works out, I'm, I'm fine with God taking care of that. Because somehow, for me, this is me. The question was about me. It wasn't about what you think. It's about what I think. This is what I think. I think somehow in the glorious mind of Christ, His sovereignty, His control, His, His movement works in harmony with, with my will and my, my choosing in a way that I'm not ever going to figure out on this side of the planet. I've tried. I'm never going to figure out how those two come together. But in a glorious, miraculous way, His sovereignty doesn't override my will, and my will can never override His sovereignty. And maybe when we get to heaven, it'll make sense, or maybe we'll just be so in love with Jesus by that point, it just won't even matter anymore. Are there aliens? I don't know. Are there humans? Absolutely, I'm looking at a bunch of them. Are there humans who act like aliens? Probably. How does it all work? My mind is limited into just how much I can know about how it works. But I know that Christ invites all. All humans, maybe all aliens, who knows. But I know He invites all of you into a relationship with His Son. Because Christ died for you, gave his life for you, rose again so we could be gloriously saved, forgiven of our sins, both now and forevermore. See, here's, here's the thing. These questions are, are wonderful. I, I love this kind of back and forth and, and digging. I love these dialogues as long as we can do it with respect. These are helpful. They, they help us grow. They deepen our faith unless... Unless secondary questions become more important to us than Jesus. Interesting questions, if they somehow get elevated above the main thing that Jesus came and lived and died and rose again for you. Let's debate everything underneath that. But let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Let's pray. God, you are good and gracious and wise. And who you are uh, extends far beyond our ability to understand or make sense of. You invite us into those struggles. What I love about the Bible. You, you invite us into to digging in and, and, and forming opinions and, and learning more about you, but God, don't don't ever let our theories become more important than Jesus. Help us not to love our theory more than we love Jesus, and help our focus on our secondary questions or our our spiritual theories. Help that not to override a heart for people who need to know Jesus, for lost people who need to come to faith in Jesus. I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and worship the Lord.